Well, welcome everyone. Great to see you here tonight. Thank you for joining us. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here and it's great to have you join us. Uh, there are a whole bunch of people in the room tonight. There are people in the room who are connect group leaders who are going to be leading people through our studies in the book of Romans. There are people here who are kids leaders who are faithfully teaching our kids uh, we've got people watching online from our church. Welcome to all of you. And people who are friends of, or connected to more college in some kind of way and are watching this as well. Uh, whoever you are, it's great to have you join us tonight as we dig into God's Word and probably into one of the best letters, the most famous letters ever written, the book of Romans. So we're going to waste no time tonight. Would you please put your hands together and welcome our speaker for tonight, Dr. Lionel Windsor. Welcome. Great to see you, Andrew. Great to be here. It is yeah. great to have you here. Lionel is, um, I call him a doctor, he's also just a member of our church, an average member of our church um, who happens to have a PhD in Romans. It's great to have you here. Um, tell us firstly about your family. Yes, I'm married to Bronwyn. Uh, we've got three teenagers, uh, Ellie and Harry and Adelaide. Adelaide's actually currently in the UK, but God willing, we'll be coming home soon if the flights work, etc. Yes. Praying for Adelaide. Mm. Um, so you, throughout a normal week, you are lecturing in Moore College, at Moore College, Moore Theological College, here in Sydney, uh, where a bunch of the pastors in our church trained. But it's not just for pastors and for ministers. Tell us why the average person sitting in church should care about what happens at Moore College yeah. or in Bible colleges in Sydney. That's, that's great. It's a great question. And please, please do pray for us uh, at, at Moore College um, as we are praying for churches throughout Sydney uh, and the world. Um, look, Moore College, as, as Andrew said, uh, I guess our, our core thing that we're doing is we're training people uh, to be pastors, ministers of God's word uh, now and into the future. Uh, so why care about that? Well, that's the, the world needs to hear about Jesus. And so we are training people to hear about that wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to pray for, for that uh, task, uh, and also those who are being trained at Moore College are coming to churches like uh, here at Kirribilli and Neutral Bay. Uh, and so we want them to be pastorally minded uh, and combining their pastoral um, heart and love for mission with a deep understanding of God and his purposes through Jesus Christ and his word. So we're doing all of that together, seeking to be um, training them in pastoral uh, ministry and in understanding God's word. Um, there's also a whole lot of other things that we do as well. And it's not just people who are going to be future sort of vocational ministers. There's people who come along for one-year courses and all sorts of other things as well. So I could just keep going, but I'll stop there. Yeah. Lionel lectured me at college. I promise I always paid attention. Um, it, it, he lectured me in Greek from the very beginning, my first ever lecturer. It was, it was great to have Andrew. And yeah. back then, you actually had to pay attention because you weren't wearing masks. So, you, know, <laughs> yeah, it, you couldn't hide it. Yeah, exactly. So you're a man of many talents. You mm. love jazz piano, often mm. play with your son, Harry. Mm. Um, but you also are a productivity guru. You've got a blog with multiple um, posts about productivity hacks. Just give us a freebie tonight, one quick productivity <laughs> hack that yeah. is just going to save us time. I'm not sure I'm a guru. I just read some of the gurus. Okay. Probably a, a quick tip is actually um, when you make a promise to somebody... Uh, write it down as soon as you can afterwards so that you actually keep it, especially if you say to somebody, I'll pray for you. 
You know, that's, that's, that's what, what I do. But if I don't write it down, I might actually forget to pray for them. So write it down and at the end of the day, look at all the things you've written down and try and stick it in your prayer diary or whatever it is. That would be my, my little uh, that's awesome. tip. Yeah. That's awesome. So as we dig into Romans and prepare ourselves, what is, what's your favourite verse? Yeah, in the I, book of Romans. Uh, yeah, and in fact, in the entire Bible is uh, Romans uh, eight thirty nine. I'm sure it's quite a few other people's favourite verse too. Um, nothing can separate. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful verse. Yeah. So good. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray for Lionel. Let's pray for ourselves as we prepare to hear from God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us now to hear from you, and really go deep tonight. Uh, that you've given us the luxury of having this time to have our mind expanded and blown away by who you are and what you've done. Uh, But we pray it wouldn't just be knowledge, but it also would set aflame our hearts in love for you and that you also show us how to live in response. Lord, for those of us who are with us tonight in person or live stream who are teachers of your word or leaders of your people in kids' church, in connect group leading, whatever it is, would you also equip us and prepare us to lead your people well as we look at this incredible book of Romans that you have given us in your word. Lord, be with us now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lionel. Well, thanks very much, Andrew. Uh, Good to see you again, everyone, uh, this evening here and uh, those on the live stream as well. I'm going to be pointing my finger every so often at, I think, Susan, or is it Tan, or this, yep, down the back. Um, And when I point my finger, there's going to be a change of a slide. So uh, we've got the next slide. Uh, Just to say there uh, will be a question time at the end. Uh, That's the the phone number to send your questions into. So send them in um, at any time during the night, uh, and then we'll have a go at answering them at the end. So next slide. Uh, I want to tell you a brief story about myself and my son, Harry. Um, I've hardly ever, ever gone camping. Uh, we'll, we'll go back back a slide, thanks. Um, well, I hardly ever go camping, but I uh, had some long service leave last year. Harry and I went camping in the Warren Bungles. So we went into the Warren Bungle National Park. Uh, we climbed some mountains. Um, it's almost impossible to show the scale of them, but uh, that tent that we were camped in is at 500 metres above sea level, and on the right, the top of that uh, mountain is at uh, 1,200 metres above sea level. And so we, we climbed and we climbed and we climbed. It was spectacular. We went to the Grand High Tops and Bluff Mountain. Uh, and then when we got to the top, uh, next slide, uh, the view was amazing. It was fantastic. It was a hard climb. Uh, but it was just really worth it at the top. And there's a picture of me doing a bad job of taking a selfie, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but, yeah, it was just an amazing view. It was really, really worth it. Um, why am I talking about this? Well, the, it's, it's a bit of an analogy for, uh, for Romans and, and what we're doing here at church. Uh, what we're going to be doing over the coming uh, weeks, uh, we'll go to the next slide, over the coming weeks, is we're going to be starting in Romans chapter 12, and uh, it's the, the year of loving our neighbour. Uh, and so we're going to be looking uh, in Romans chapter 12, 13, 14, 15 in particular, and 16 talk a lot about loving our neighbour. And that's really important and really, really wonderful. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, but the, the, inf- the, the stuff in Romans about loving your neighbour, really wonderful, really wonderful stuff. Um, it's actually built upon all the things that are there in the earlier chapters of Romans. Uh, And so starting in Romans chapter 12 is really good. Uh, It's like being kind of helicoptered into the top of the mountain uh, without necessarily having to climb it, which is great. Uh, But tonight, 
we're going to have a go at, 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 at sort of climbing that mountain as well. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 starts, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so you see, Paul says, there, therefore, he's pointing to something, and he says, in view of God's mercy. Well, what's God's mercy? It's all, it's the mountain. It's a mountain of God's mercy. All of the things that Paul's spoken about in chapters 1 to 11 is God's mercy. And they're the reasons why we are to love one another, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So that's what this evening's about. We're going to be looking at kind of all the Romans. Uh, it's a crash course. I'm not going to cover everything. I think you already know that. Uh, but we're going to be looking at all of Romans, especially chapters 1 to 11, because uh, in our sermon series, we're going to be looking at chapters 12 and following. But... Um, okay, Romans. Romans, amazing. I love it. It's, it's, it's incredible. Here's some testimonies about Romans. It's so many people, significant people in church history, a whole of others have been converted through um, or profoundly influenced through Romans. Think of Augustine, after whom St. Augustine's is named. Um, he was converted through reading Romans. Martin Luther, if you can't read that, that's okay, I'll read it to you. He says, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul it can never be read or pondered too much and the more it is dealt with the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes there's luther uh, calvin another reformer if we understand this epistle we have a passage open to us to the understanding of the whole of scripture i've got wesley uh, wesley converted actually through reading martin luther's pre preface to romans uh, and so, so, and so many others um, down through the ages, and I'm sure uh, many of you, perhaps, uh, maybe over the, the, the break or afterwards, you might want to share uh, if you have any favourite parts from Romans, or if you've been influenced by Romans uh, yourself. The wonderful letter. Well, we're going to be looking at it and why it is so wonderful, and what's so great about it, and what we can learn for ourselves for our Christian lives. So uh, the way we're going to do it, I'll just we might as well start with Paul's own introduction to Romans. So next slide. Um, just to point out a few things as Paul himself introduces himself to the people he's writing to. Uh, so here's Paul's intro. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And yes, that was one sentence. Okay, so, and, and why is that? Because actually what Paul is doing is he wants to bring about the wonderful truths of the Christian faith. He wants, he wants us to understand these wonderful truths and he wants to show the connections between them. And to do that, he sometimes needs to speak in some of these slightly longer sentences. Uh, I'll just pick this apart really briefly. What does that tell us about Romans? Well, it tells us about the person who wrote it, Paul, Paul the preacher. Who is Paul? He was actually uh, Jewish, a Jewish preacher of Jesus Christ. Once he was a persecutor of the church, uh, and now he proclaims Jesus because Jesus comes to him and shows him that he needs salvation in Jesus and shows him uh, too. He says, I want you to be the one who proclaims my name to the ends of the earth. That's the Apostle Paul, first century. Uh, how does he describe himself? As, as a servant, as an apostle, as someone who's set apart. An apostle is someone who is sent. 
Uh, he's got actually a special mission, even though he's from the people of Israel, he's, he's Jewish, he's actually got a particular mission to bring that message about Jesus to people from all over the world, outside the, the, the nation of Israel. Uh, so he's an apostle. It's not just him, he, he works with other people as well. What is that message? The message he's going to proclaim is the gospel. What's the gospel? He calls it the gospel. Gospel is good and important news. Uh, it's, it's actually in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, the gospel uh, is the victory announcement, the announcement that God is victorious. Uh, you see that especially in Isaiah. Uh, so it's actually wonderful good news that he's proclaiming. What's the subject of this gospel? It is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, here he is the Son of God. Uh, that means he is, he's the Messiah, he's God's King. Even more than that, he is someone in this intimate relationship with God himself. And as, actually, as you go on in Romans, you actually see Paul actually says that he is God um, himself too, in Romans chapter 9. Uh, what does Paul want to say right from the start about Jesus? Well, it's a victory announcement. The thing he wants to say from the start is Jesus is risen from the dead. His resurrection from the dead, uh, it ultimately shows that he is King. He's, he's victorious over death. He's risen from the dead by the spirit of holiness. A new age has dawned, says Paul. And he is our Lord. He's this uh, Lord who rules the world. Uh, and he is to be our Lord as well, personally. So already in this one sentence, you've actually got um, the, the, a large number of the really important things about Romans in a nutshell. It's all about Jesus. Uh, and it's this victory announcement, the gospel. And Paul himself has a mission. His mission is to go among all the nations. He's got a mission to go out from Israel to the world, proclaiming this victory, uh, saying to people to trust in, to believe in this Jesus who is king, who is Lord, uh, and who rules us. Uh, just to uh, give a little bit of a, of a ge geography and history very quickly. Uh, so here's a bit of a map. It'll appear up on the screen. Um, just to talk about the situation of the church in Rome, four key things, four sort of key places that matter for um, the, the background to Romans. Uh, firstly, Rome. So Rome is uh, that place second from the left, uh, capital of the Roman Empire, really big city, a lot of people in it. Actually, most of the people who are in Rome aren't Romans. So it's a, bit, you know, it's a little bit strange to call it Paul's letter to the Romans. Actually, if you want to be technically right, it's kind of Paul's letter to the believers who are mostly Jewish and Greek who are living in Rome because Rome's actually a big immigrant city. But there's also, of course, Romans in there as well who kind of rule Rome. Um, so there's Romans, Greeks uh, and, and Jews. Um, and uh, what had happened is that when the gospel had been pr first preached, people had become Christians. They brought the gospel to Rome. Uh, and Paul's writing at about 57 AD. Uh, he's writing through, during a three-month stay in uh, Corinth, which is in Greece, uh, and that's where he's conducting uh, some ministry. He writes to Rome. Uh, now, the gospel had gone out originally from Jerusalem, so you see that in the, uh, the, on, the, on the far right. That's, that's uh, in Israel. He was a gospel preacher. He hadn't yet met the Romans, but he wants to include them in his mission. He wants to say, you're part of my mission too, because you are people from the world and I want to be able to proclaim the gospel. And he also wants to actually ask them for help. He says, I want you to, to speak this gospel to you so that you can see the gospel I preach and also so that you can help me to preach the gospel further. He wants their help to get further into Spain, um, into the West. 
Uh, so he's writing to, uh, he's writing to Christians, uh, probably mostly not Jewish, mostly Gentiles, uh, but these are Gentiles in particular in Romans who have quite a long history of relationship to Jews in different ways. Possibly many of them were already associated with the synagogue before they became Christians. Um, how do I know that? Well, they knew their Bibles pretty well. Um, they knew their Bibles real, really well, actually. Uh, how do I know that? Well, when you read Romans, you see Paul's just assuming they know their Bibles well. And they know their Bibles probably better than most Christians today, actually. Uh, they would have uh, uh, spent their time, if they spent their time with Jewish people, yeah, the, the Bible just read and read and read and read and read every Sabbath. Uh, they just seem to know their Bible so well. So Paul can quote it left, right and centre and assume that they, that they know where it's coming from. So in some ways, that kind of that puts us to shame, actually, uh, that you know, they actually knew their Bibles probably better than we do in many ways, because they could just, uh, there it was. And when I say their Bibles, particularly talking about their Old Testaments here, the Scriptures. So um, why is Paul writing Romans? Uh, brief overview, next slide from my colleague Will Timmons at, at Moore College. There's actually a number of different purposes. That's what makes it so great. And they all sort of intersect with one another. So he's got a missional purpose. Paul wants to preach the gospel to the Romans. He wants them to, them to help him to proclaim the gospel. Um, there's a, a called a polemical purpose. That is, there's wrong views about the gospel that he wants to get right. He wants them to help them to understand the truth. And there's also a pastoral purpose. He wants to promote a right response to the gospel. And that pastoral purpose, I think, is what we're going to be focusing on in church uh, in the coming weeks. I assume that's the case, given that uh, we're doing this series in uh, Romans 12 to 16. Uh, so that's the focus, but they, they all sort of come together. You know, it's not like you can say, oh, it's sort of theology over here and pastoral over here or whatever. No, it all, it all comes together in Romans, which is what's so amazing. So what I want to do now is to take you on a journey through Romans. Uh, it's okay, we're going to have a bit of a break partway through, so you can rest for a bit, but um, I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to uh, not take you up the Warren Bungles, uh, but uh, I hope that it's, you know, not particularly, it's, it's not quite as strenuous as that, uh, but it's exhilarating and I hope there's some great views along the way as we have this journey through Romans. What I'm going to be doing is using pictures that are, appear um, to, to help you to build up an idea as to what Romans is all about. And I'll also give you um, some ideas uh, about ways in which it actually applies to us and to our own lives. And again, we're not looking at everything. That's, that's the, the, the great thing about doing a, a survey. You know, you can leave things out and it's okay. So what's the first picture? Well, the first picture, which will appear, is this man making an, an announcement on a mountain. And we're talking here about the first 15 verses of Romans. I've already spoken a little bit about this. We've read the first five verses already. What's it about? Well, Paul, as he writes his letter, he starts by announcing that he's a servant, he's an apostle, he is a preacher, and he's preaching that gospel about Jesus Christ. And he's saying, that's, that's what I'm doing. And it's amazing, and it really matters. And it's a special message. It's a message that's grounded actually in one particular nation, in the nation of Israel. And Israel's here represented by a mountain. I've only got the mountain top at the moment. Later on you'll see more of the mountain. Uh, but this mountain, Mount, Mount Zion, uh, the mount that Jerusalem uh, is, is on, uh, and it's sort of this, this, this gospel is going out from Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, Paul, the way that Paul describes his gospel in Romans is he actually describes it in terms of going out from Israel. Who's Jesus? He describes Jesus as someone who's descended from Israel's king, David. 
and he's risen from the dead. But this message can't stay in Israel. Yes, that's where it starts, but it has to go out to all the world because he's risen from the dead. It's got to go out to the nations, to Gentiles, and it's got to go out including to the people who are there in Rome. And that's why, as I said, Paul wants to come to Rome to encourage them with the gospel. He's writing his letter to encourage them with the gospel and he wants to keep doing that when he arrives uh, and he wants to be encouraged by them as well. Uh, and he also wants to, to be involved in gospel partnership with them, sharing that gospel with other people. Uh, and so just thinking a little bit about how that applies to us right from the start, this gives us a big picture of the gospel. It gives us a big picture of God's purposes and plans. Yeah, sometimes it, it, we, we, we might be tempted to think that, you know, the gospel, what's the gospel? Well, it's, it's a message that's just about me or it's just about my personal circumstances or my own personal transformation. And I want to say, well, yes, the gospel does speak deeply to us, to our hearts, to, and it transforms us and changes us. It is in many ways about us. But at the very same time, it's so much bigger than us as well. It's not just about us. It's about God and his purposes and it's about Jesus. It's big. It's huge. It's about the ruler of the world. It's about uh, the one who is uh, risen from the dead and who calls people to trust in him. And that gospel, uh, Paul says, is going out to the world and, and it's going out even now. So we're part of something bigger. It reminds us just that, that the gospel is, is bigger than you and me. Um, yes, it's so good for you and me, but it's bigger than you and me. It's bigger than our own church. It's bigger than our own ministries. Far bigger, I know, than more college. Uh, far, far bigger than, 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 than anything uh, that is just uh, related to us and our purposes. And so what Paul wants us to do uh, and what's, wants the Romans to do is to see how wonderful it is, how big it is, and to be part of that great plan. Okay, the next little picture is a guide map for the journey, chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Uh, what's it about? Well, this is the theme verses. verses uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 17 are like sort of the guide map, and they're the theme verses that summarise all of Romans. Uh, every word in, in these uh, two verses introduces something important in the rest of Romans. Paul says, uh, and next slide, I am not ashamed of the gospel uh, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So much in here, and it's actually worth just pondering for a short while. We'll go a bit faster as we go, but just to ponder this for a short while because we're looking at sort of an introduction to Romans, and here's all of the themes kind of there in a nutshell. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. See, that message about Jesus is about the person who's risen from the dead, and it is the power of God. The gospel, the words, you know, words can seem weak, but these words are powerful. They don't need power added to them. Um, they actually are power. Sometimes we can forget that. Sometimes we can be ashamed. Sometimes we can feel ourselves that, that these words about Jesus, they're weak. They don't make a difference. And we can say, oh, you know, I just wish I could have power from somewhere. But no, this message is power and it changes people. It changes lives. It changes the world. And it's, what's it power for? It's power for salvation. Uh, salvation, what's salvation? Um, the same word as being saved. So you hear about being saved, salvation. Uh, it's the goal of God's purposes. 
Salvation means deliverance or rescue. And as soon as you hear that, you've got to say, well, rescue from what? What are we actually saved from? Well, actually, in Romans, it's being rescued from God's final judgment that will happen through Jesus' death and resurrection. Why do we need to be rescued from that? Well, we need to be rescued from that because of God's wrath, God's righteous anger. What is God's wrath? Why is God's wrath something we need to be rescued from? Because we are sinners. We are guilty before God. This is the message that Paul is proclaiming. But through the gospel, we're rescued from that. Who's rescued? Everyone who believes. That gospel is a message to be believed, to be understood, to be trusted. And that's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just about ticking the box. It's about believing promises that God has made and trusting in them and entrusting our lives to God who has made these promises and trusting in Jesus. And it's for everyone who believes. That's really important in Romans. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for Gentiles. It's not just for Greeks. It's not just for special people. It's not just for white people. It's not just for black people. It's not just for Australians. It's not just for rich people. It's not just for poor people. It's not just for clever people or, or anything. It's for everyone. This blessing is available through Jesus Christ. Um, it actually means that, that Roman, the gospel message that is preached is fundamental to combating all sorts of things, including racism, because the gospel is for everyone. And it's, it's, it's important for combating religious nationalism and snobbery and pride and arrogance in our own hearts. It's to here, the Jew first, and also to the Greek. What's that all about? Well, in Romans, there's this dynamic of this gospel going out from Israel to all the nations around about. Uh, the Greeks were the main non-Jews that Paul's writing to. And so the gospel's for everyone, but it begins in Israel and then goes out to the world. And that matters. That's actually a huge issue for Paul in some parts of Romans, especially chapters 9 to 11. Uh, we'll see that in a moment. And um, in it is revealed the righteousness of God. Uh, people debate this, uh, what that means. I'm convinced that Luther was right. This is God's righteousness that comes to us in Jesus. What's righteousness? Well, righteousness just actually means being right, being good, being, being moral. But we're sinners. So actually what Paul is saying is it's not our own righteousness that saves us ultimately. It's not our own works that make us right with God. It's Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross. God declares us right with him. And that's an amazing message and that comes through faith. That is, it comes not by working for it, not by trying to make ourselves feel for it or any of those things. This righteousness comes just by trusting in God's promises through Jesus. So it comes through Jesus, through trusting in him, looking to Jesus as our Lord and our saviour. Uh, that's where it's all at. And um, Paul actually says, as it is written, uh, the righteous will live by faith. He quotes the Old Testament. Romans, as I said before, is full of scripture full of the Old Testament, it's all over the place. And that's because the whole of Scripture is the grounding for this gospel. Uh, in many ways, to get what's going on in Romans, you, you need to familiarise yourself more and more with, with Scripture, with the Old Testament. Soak yourself in God's Word. And the more you soak yourself in God's Word, the more that you see what's going on here in, in the gospel. Uh, that's why it's so important that we keep reading the Old Testament, because it leads us to know Jesus. 
uh, and, and that's, that's really important for us as well. Okay, so there's a guide map for the journey. Let's, let's go a bit faster. Let's start the journey. Uh, so the next slide is a dark valley. Okay, the first part of the journey, it's in the first three chapters, it's a dark valley. And chapters 1 to 3, especially chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, they're actually full of dark and distressing themes. They're themes of human sin and God's judgment and Israel's failure. Uh, the rest of chapter 1 is about the sin of the world. The rest of chapter 1 is about the way in which the world has rejected God and gone in a downward spiral from not honouring God to making idols to, to messing up the relationships between men and women and, and all sorts of terrible sins that, that continue. And God is rightly angry with that sin and he judges it. That's what Paul says. But just in case, as you're reading this, you're tempted to be judgmental to yourself and to go, aha, those terrible people out there. No, Paul won't, won't let you get away with thinking you're okay. So maybe you think you're okay because you, you know the Bible well. You know, I, know, I, know, I know the Bible, so I'm okay. You know, what about those people who have God's law, those who know what the right thing to do is? And they say, yes, I know what the right thing to do is. Well, the first half of chapter 2 is about them. It says that having God's law isn't enough because just knowing God's law, knowing what's right, doesn't make people good. And everybody, Jews as well as Gentiles, will be judged on a future day, not based on what they know, but based on what we do. Or maybe you think you're okay because you're a Bible teacher. I know there's a number of people here about you know, leading connect groups, teaching children's ministry, being minister of a church or, or an intern or uh, someone who's an assistant minister or a lecturer or whatever it is. Maybe, maybe that's you. Well, the second half of chapter 2 shows up the failure of law teachers. So you, you might think, well, God's not going to judge me because I, I, I'm a teacher. I, I know God's word and I teach it to others. Second half of chapter 2, people who are trying to solve the problem of sin in the world by teaching God's law to others. But they end up sinning just like the rest, bringing dishonour to God. People who know the law, people who teach the law, that's not good enough because just knowing the rules, knowing what God expects of us does not actually deal with our sin and therefore does not actually deal with God's wrath. The first half of chapter 3 shows that God's law doesn't save people. It actually condemns people. Knowing the rules just makes it worse. God's law is good, but it just makes us accountable to God because it shows that there's no one who does good, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. These are dark and distressing themes, aren't they? And it is worth pausing to think about, well, what does that mean for us? Well, it teaches us that we can't rely on anything other than Jesus for our salvation. Because actually, you and me, we're actually all wrong on so many levels. <laughs> levels of thinking and acting and, and so many different ways. Nobody's exempt, even if you know the Bible or teach the Bible or you've come along tonight. And I want to say, if, if you're involved in any kind of ministry, um, one thing to remember is to keep communicating these truths. As we teach about sin and righteousness, communicate to people that actually it's for all of us. It's not just for those people out there. It's not just for the people that you're speaking to, it's you as well. We need to realise that, we need people to realise that, that yes, sin affects all of us. And it's, it's worth thinking about, you know, appropriate examples of your own life where you've needed to, to change and, and repent of, of sin. Uh, and uh, when you're criticised, and this is, this is where I need to, to keep uh, repenting myself, you know, I'm criticised as the automatic reaction to defend myself. Uh, and what I need to do is to keep going, well, actually, maybe the criticism is right. I actually need to think about it 
and, and take it away. There's, there's, there's examples because sin affects all of us. Okay, well, there's the dark valley. But, of course, the story goes on. And the next slide, uh, wonderful. At the end of chapter 3, we have the cross. At the darkest point in the valley are these amazing words. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. There is rescue. Rescue from sin. Rescue from judgment. There is what's called justification. That means being declared to be right before God, our judge. How does it come? It comes through Jesus and specifically through this uh, thing that's called atonement, the death of Jesus for us. Jesus died in our place. Jesus died for us. He took our sin and judgment on himself. And so that cross, it, it satisfies God's justice, as Paul says, and all who trust in Jesus and what he has done are right with God. And so if there's nothing else that, that you hear, this, this is, these words are so wonderful. Brothers and sisters, we have to keep coming back to Jesus and his death on the cross for us. Uh, that's not just in Romans, of course, is it? But it is particularly strong in Romans, absolutely central to everything in Romans, in life, in the universe. Jesus died for you. Know him and trust him. And actually, the, the rest of Romans, next slide, is about um, a, the implications of Jesus' death. Uh, what does that actually mean for us? Well, um, the, the, the next picture is a road. So the cross that makes us right with God. It's not, just, it's not just something that we sort of come to the cross and then sort of go, oh, that was nice, and then walk away. No, no, no. It, it, it starts us on a path, on a road. Um, and it's, it makes us right with God. It's the foundation for a whole new life to live a whole new way to live with God and a whole new way for the future. Uh, and that's why we've got this, this road. And so what's on this road? How does this road work? Next slide is an end work zone. So the, the, the first thing that you see on this road is an end work zone. Chapter 4, what do I mean by that? Well, what Paul says is the first thing you've got to remember when you come back to Jesus' death on the cross, the first thing to remember is that all of this being right before God uh, and your, the foundation of your relationship with God is not about what you do. It's actually about trusting in Jesus, trusting God. We receive that life, that justification, that being right with God by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. Just coming to him. Not by working, not by getting wages so that you know, God owes us something. You know, not, not trying to earn it like some kind of you know, work that we do, like in so much of the rest of life where we actually earn things and, and, and they owe it. No, that's not how it works when it comes to being right with God. The way to life is about faith, that is believing, trusting. Uh, those words are, are pretty much the same. They all come together. Believing and trusting in God's ability to bring life from the dead through Jesus Christ. That's what Romans chapter 4 is all about. And Romans chapter 4, um, to, to, to not only illustrate that, but to ground that in the scriptures, uh, which is what Paul keeps doing, is he goes back to Abraham, the great figure of the Old Testament. And some people would, would have used Abraham in Paul's day to say, look at Abraham, he did a wonderful thing, so he was clearly right with God by his deeds. And Paul says, no, 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 what did he do first? What, what made him actually right with God? What, 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 why did, how did God declare him right with him? Well, God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham trusted it. And Abraham believed God, 
and God credits it to him as righteousness. That's what Paul's pointing out. Uh, And through Abraham, God promised to bless the whole world. So he's the pioneer of faith, not works. He was right with God just by trusting in God's promise. Sure, he did great things. Sure, he kept God's law later on. Nowhere near perfectly, if you know the story of Abraham. Sure, he was circumcised uh, as a sign and a seal of what came before. But before all that, he trusted. He was justified. He was right with God before any of those things. And that's important. That's important for both Jews and Gentiles to remember because it means that we're all on the same ground. You know, whether we're circumcised or not, you know, as Jews, that was, the circumcision was the sign for Jews of being God's special people. But that, that, that's not the foundation of being right with God. It's about trusting, having faith. And I want to ask you, are, are you striving? Are you working to be right with God? Uh, are, you, are you trying to, to sort of put God in your debt? Or maybe you're satisfied with your work and you're going, this is, this, I've done well. Maybe you think God's happy with you because actually you are a great worker. You've done some great things for God and God's happy with you and you're right with him because of that. You do, your right, you do the right thing. You know you've done the right thing. God will let you into the heaven. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you, 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 you're feeling like your good deeds are nowhere near good enough. Maybe you're a failure. Yeah, God is, is not happy with you. And you go, you're so worried and, and, and afraid that, that God will not let you into heaven. You're scared because of your sin. Well, if either of those things describe you, then you're basing your assurance before God on your works. And you need to come to Jesus. Remember that none of your works, the things that you do, change anything about God accepting you. Fundamentally, God's acceptance of you is based in Jesus. And it's about him and trusting in him. That's what Paul wants to get right, right from the start. Trust his promises, not yourself. That's where we have hope. Uh, Chapter 5, we have reconciliation with God, relationship with God through Jesus. That's where our security needs to keep coming from. Because of Jesus, we know that we have a relationship with God now and life forever, eternal life. That's where our assurance is to be found. I'm going to take a short break. We'll have to take a short break now. Uh, there's more of the journey, but we'll take a short break. Uh, just stand up, stretch. Don't go a long distance. It'll just be a few minutes, but um, then we'll, we'll come back. But uh, just a bit of a brain break at this point. Okay, well, let's continue the journey. And um, what we actually have uh, on this journey, next slide, is um, Paul has spoken Uh, about this foundational truth that we're right with God only uh, through trusting in Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Uh, He says, yes, that is our assurance, but there's actually a journey that we need to be on in in life. And there's actually kind of roadblocks on this journey. Um, Things that, roadblocks on the way to assurance. That is things that, profound things, problems, that things with the gospel that we might think, oh, you know, what does that actually mean? Things that need to be overcome and worked out. And that's what chapters 5 to 7 and and 8 are all about. The first roadblock is in chapter 5. There's just various things that that go, well, what about death? You think, well, well, surely death is an enemy of of our life in in Jesus. Death, sickness, sickness. I mean, we all die, don't we? We're, We're in... Adam, uh, we're in, 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 in uh, the one who sinned and we live in this, this life of, of, of death uh, and Adam sinned and he died and, and we're, we get sick and we die. And maybe you're worried about death and sickness and worried that that will steal away your relationship with God or, or your future hope. 
Well, no, says Paul. Next slide. This roadblock has been dealt with because, yes, Adam has affected all of us. We are weak humans who do die, and yet in Christ all will be made alive. Where sin increased, and therefore death, God's grace increased even more. That is, Jesus is so much greater than Adam. If you're in Christ, you have hope, you have security, and death cannot defeat you. There's another roadblock, chapter 6. Well, what about sin? What about sin in our life? It's actually a big issue that this whole justification by faith raises. And if you've understood justification by faith that I've spoken about, what I mean by justification by faith is being right with God by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. Just a quick, more, a quicker way of saying that is justification by faith. Um, if you've you know, come to grips with that and you've come to understand that, you've probably come across the issue, maybe from others, but probably from yourself as well. Well, does that mean we could just keep sinning then? You know, if, if actually it's not about our works and it's about what Jesus has done, doesn't that just mean that we can just keep, keep sinning? In fact, even more than that, if you've understood that what Paul's just said in chapter 5, that is where sin increased, well, the more, the more sin there was in the world, the more grace God brings, maybe you should say, oh, okay, well, then I'll sin more. And the more I sin, the more God will be gracious. And you might think that that's mad, but that was actually the belief of Rasputin, the mad Russian monk in the, the, among the czars. You can look him up later if you want to. But uh, that doesn't, it wasn't just him. It goes way back to, to uh, Romans and to the people who were opposing Paul, I think. They said, you know, justification by faith. Well, there's no incentive then to do the right thing because we're just, we're just justified by faith. Well, Paul says, no, roadblock over. If we're in Christ, um, next slide, if we're in Christ, we've died to sin. And we live to God. See, justification by faith, it's not just a free ticket to heaven where you go, oh, great, thanks very much, goodbye, God, goodbye, goodbye, Jesus. No, it's, it's actually an invitation to live the life that God has for us. And the life that God has for us is the life that Jesus has lived. And Jesus' life is about dying and rising from the dead. And that's our life as well, our life of dying, dying to what? Dying to our old self, the old way of living, dying to sin and being in Jesus, being raised to, to life, life in the future. But here in chapter 6, Paul talks about the, that life that God has given us to live. We've got a whole new life to live in Jesus. And what Paul says is start living. Don't just sort of take this free ticket to heaven and just run away and die again. Live. That's what Paul is saying. That's, that's um, the stupidity of sin. Don't go back to it. That's why we can and should surrender our lives to him. We've got a whole new life to live. Another roadblock in chapter 7, uh, next slide, is the law. Because the law, what's the law? It's, it's God's word. It's God's word telling me what to do. It's saying there's God's word that tells me what God wants me to do. It's his commands. God's law tells me what to do. It tells me what to do in my life. But the thing about the law is, in my experience, um, it's definitely my experience. I'm sure it's your experience, actually, because I know, the reason I know is that you're all human beings. And Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that this is what happens to human beings. It happens to him too. As much as we might try to keep the rules and do right, actually, I can't keep all the rules. In fact, I'm weak. Sin is right there with me. And so when I just hear the rules, all the rules do is I just bring more death. 
Because I go, well, that just shows that I'm more of a sinner and it can actually bring me into cycles of despair. And what does Paul say? Next slide, roadblock over. Jesus' death on the cross means that we're not ruled over by the law. Yes, that is our experience. Yes, we need to keep struggling with sin, but that is not the end. Yes, the law does tell us God's good purposes. The law is good in the sense that it tells us the right thing about what God wants. But our Christian lives are not ruled by these rules. The rules are not there to rule over us. And Christian life is not just keeping the rules. And if you live your Christian life just as a matter of keeping the rules, then you'll fail. Because you can't do it. You can't do it in your own strength and power. And you're still a human being, and sin is still there. And what you need to do is to keep coming back to Jesus. Keep remembering what is at the centre of it all, Jesus, to come to him. And then uh, the next slide here, chapter 8, once the roadblocks there are over, we emerge into this glorious sunrise of chapter 8. And um, this is a really bad dad's joke pun, but I I like it because you'll remember it. It's a sunrise because God's son has risen from the dead. Okay, very good. Thank you for the nods. Um, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has died for our sins. He's risen from the dead. And that means God's Holy Spirit lives in us. Jesus has poured out his spirit on us, guaranteeing our future resurrection. Uh, and just like, it's just like Jesus' resurrection into a whole new creation that we can look forward to without sin or death. And in the meantime, God's Holy Spirit does work in us. And yes, we are not perfect. And yes, we still long for heaven. But the God's Holy Spirit works in us to enable us to do what is right. Not being ruled over by the law, but being able to follow what God wants us to do because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And God's Holy Spirit enables us even to do that while we endure suffering even now in this world that is a death-bound world. So we don't just follow the rules. That's not what Christian life is about. Yes, it does involve knowing what God wants us to do and doing it, but it's not about just being ruled by the rules. You live with a new identity. You're a child of God. You have adoption looking forward to a new life to resurrection, to glory, to new creation. That's who you are. That's who we are. We have God's spirit. And with God's spirit, his law is not a rod for our back, but a light for our path that enables us to see what God wants us to do. And the spirit gives us power to enable us to know to live and to live for him. And that means we can endure suffering, indeed even persecution, as Paul talks about in chapter 8. And we can know that nothing, nothing at all can separate us from God's love. So that's chapter 8. Okay, well, that's amazing. And you can think, okay, Romans is over. We've said everything we need to say. We're destined for glory. That's it. But no, no, there's some very important things that need to be said after that. And indeed, chapter 9, we need to return to a very important question in all of this. Uh, And that question is, what about where we started? What about the nation of Israel? What about, there's the mountain, Mount Zion? Aren't Israel, think about Israel again. Well, the thing about Israel is, well, they are actually the people of the law. They're the people who are ruled by the law. And aren't Israel, but they're also meant to be the special people that God made promises to and revealed himself to and gave promises to. Well, what's going on there? Because Abraham comes from Israel. Paul comes from Israel. 
He's a great preacher of the gospel. He comes from Israel. But there's a problem because if all this salvation comes from Israel because of Jesus and it's all apart from the law and if what the law actually does is it kind of brings death to us when it reminds us of our sin, well, what about the people of the law? What about Israel? And after all, back then and and even today, many Israelites still seem to be insisting on the law as being everything. Keep the law. Not having faith in Jesus, not trusting in him. And that's why Paul needs to deal with that issue. It's so important. And that's what chapters 9 to 11, uh, he struggles with and speaks about uh, that, that, that really important issue. And there's various issues that come up in chapters 9 to 11. Uh, more scripture than anywhere else in the rest of the New Testament. Um, huge amounts of sort of uh, uh, going back and forth with scripture. I'll give you a, bit of, a very brief overview of what chapters 9 to 11 are all about. Um, it's about Israel's place and God's purposes. That's what Paul's talking about. And Paul answers the issue. There's actually three parts to his answer that fall nicely into three different chapters. So chapter 9. The first part is um, the crown, which we've already got up on the screen. That's good. So the first thing to remember uh, is, is Paul's answering this question about, well, what's, what's happening with Israel? Um, you know, what's going on here? The first part of the answer is to remember that God is the sovereign over the world. That is, that God rules the world, that he's got the crown, that he's the king. And Paul says, actually, in the end, God can actually do whatever he wants. Let's just remember that. He can do what he wants. And if he wanted to bring about Israel to give them the law and they couldn't keep the law and they failed, then God can do that if he wants to do that. Let's just remember that. That's a hard word, but that's what he says. Something for us to remember. And it's actually important for us to remember because it helps us to be humble. It helps us to realise that we don't have a a sort of a claim on God, as if God owes us anything. Because in the end, he's God. And God can do whatever he wants because he is God. That's the word of chapter 9. Um, and there are so many issues that that brings up, um, issues about predestination. Paul uses the word in Romans um, and uh, even when it comes to salvation. Uh, but the main thing that it teaches us is that we need to be humble and admit that God is God and we are not. That's chapter 9. But that's only the first part of the answer. That's not the end of the answer, that's the beginning. Just, let's just remember that. God can do what he wants. The second part of the answer, next slide, is the speaker on the mountain. In chapter 10, we have that speaker on the mountain. And chapter 10 is all about the gospel and the mission of the gospel. Uh, that is, it's, it's about Paul, who's preaching the gospel, and those who are preaching the gospel. And that's actually a large part of the answer about Israel. This is why it's a bit complicated, because is this it's about the gospel or is it about Israel? Well, it's Paul saying it's actually kind of about both, and that's the point. Paul is, he says, he reminds everyone, he's proclaiming the gospel. He's been sent as the apostle from Israel to the world to preach about Jesus. And the problem is, all the way along, that yes, Israel had the law, but they didn't realise what the law was supposed to lead to. What the law was supposed to do, it was supposed to teach them to... to uh, not to do good works and therefore achieve salvation, but to lead people to Christ. So Paul says, Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. So Israel should have realised that salvation doesn't come through keeping a law, and that the law itself says it in Deuteronomy. They should have realised it comes through hearing and confessing, believing the message, the message about Jesus. So Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And he's saying that Israel, they've been striving. They've been trying to kind of bring God down from heaven or raise Christ up from the dead kind of thing. He says, no, no, no. No, that's not where it's at. You need to trust in him. So believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And Paul's job is to proclaim this to the world. He's the messenger promised in Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who preach good news. Okay, so that's part of the answer about Israel as well. Still not particularly good news for Israel yet, but we'll get there. Um, But chapter 10 is a wonderful chapter, though, but it does remind us of the importance of speaking the message about Jesus. Chapter 10 in Romans is actually full of stuff about speaking and the importance of actually speaking the message about Jesus. Uh, And why is that? Well, speaking the message about Jesus really matters. So doing good works... They matter too. They matter because God wants us to do good works. They are the fruit of the gospel. That's really important. And they adorn the gospel. If you're not doing good works, then you're living a lie. So they are important. But what Paul says is, if you only do good works, if you only do good works and never speak about Jesus or do anything that will ever make people actually somehow hear about Jesus, then people will get a message. But the only message they'll get is, wow, Christians are great people. They do good works. So being a Christian must mean doing good works. And so they might follow your example and do good works. But good works don't bring salvation. They don't bring us to God. It's Jesus who brings us to God. And so the message about Jesus needs to go out. Salvation comes through believing the message. And that's why the message needs to be spoken, Paul says. He's saying Israel thought they could get salvation by doing right, doing good works. They can't get it that way. They need Jesus. That's the argument of chapter 10. And actually that message, even though Israel hadn't got it, actually that is what gives Paul hope for Israel. Chapter 11, we read about Paul's hope for Israel. And it's all based on the gospel. It says, yes, Israel had rejected the message. But Paul says, I'm an Israelite and I'm preaching the gospel. That's what I'm doing. I'm bringing that gospel from Israel to the nations. And he says at the beginning of chapter 11, I'm an Israelite. And because of this, there's hope for Israel. And what Paul says is, I just want to keep preaching that gospel. And I just want, okay, the the Israelites are not going to hear it right now. I want uh, the the, the Gentiles to just hear it and so come to trust in Jesus. And and I want to drive my fellow Israelites to jealousy because I want them to to turn them green with envy so that they actually see this wonderful salvation that the Gentiles are receiving and they too come to see how amazing it is. Uh, through the gospel and come to trust in Jesus too. And that's what he he wants uh, to do. And that is his future hope, that that Israel will be saved. He says all Israel will be saved. And there's all these debates about what that means. And you can ask me about that later if you want to. Uh, I don't think it means that, you know, there's, there's that every individual Jewish person is somehow going to be saved. I don't think that's what he's actually saying there. I think he's saying that there's a, a significant number of people from Israel who are much bigger than just a small remnant, who in the end we will see have been saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's chapter 11. But what does it lead to? It leads Paul to praise and glorify and worship God for his amazing purposes and plans and mercies. So the end of chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has, kept his, who has been his counsellor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
So what Paul does is so much scripture, so much pretty detailed, complex theology. What does it lead him to? It leads him to glorify God, to worship, to praise God. That's how chapter 11 ends. For his mercies and actually just for his wonderful ways of doing it because I wouldn't have chosen this way. I don't know if you would have chosen this way to bring about the salvation of the world and indeed of God's people in this way. But this is the way that God has chosen to do it and it is amazing and wonderful and inscrutable and God is great and powerful. And that's how Romans chapter 11 ends. And so chapters 12 and 13, in view of God's mercies, therefore, you know, that's what the therefore uh, is, is signifying. In view of all those God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So I've got here a picture of a heart and an altar. Paul turns to his readers and he says to them, they've got a sacrifice to do. It's not a sacrifice that saves us. Uh, Jesus has already saved us by his own sacrifice. We've already been shown mercy. So what we need to do, this sacrifice, is not a sacrifice that saves us, but it's a sacrifice of our life to God on the altar of our lives uh, and doing these things in response to God's great mercies to us, to give our lives to God. Not just to, to do what we want to do and just live that life ourselves, but live a life for him. And it involves especially... Loving your neighbour. <laughs> really important. That's what we're getting into over the next few weeks. Loving outsiders, loving one another. Uh, and in fact, when we love, that is actually the key way that we fulfil the law anyway. And we look forward to that day when Jesus will return. Our salvation will be seen for what it is. That's, that's chapter, chapters 12 and 13. So next slide, chapters 14 and 15. This is another aspect of actually of the, our response to God, uh, which is actually very closely related to love. Uh, it's here, it's a multicultural feast, is the picture, on the mountain. Um, because a really important element uh, in all of this is learning to live together as God's people, even in the midst of our differences, whether our background is Jewish or non-Jewish, or if we've got different sort of different backgrounds, different uh, things, different... The, ways of doing things, different preferences, different ways of uh, worshipping God in our lives. Uh, that's what Paul talks about in chapters 14 and 15. And Paul talks about not um, sort of judging one another just for those things that are not central to what the gospel's about, but actually accepting one another uh, and saying that uh, we need to come together because we are, yes, we may be from different backgrounds, we may be different people, Jews and Gentiles in particular, and yet we need to welcome and accept one another. Um, opinions over food, what you're supposed to eat, and that sort of thing. As we welcome one another in Christ and put aside differences over, in this case, Paul talks about food laws and days, you know, which, do, which days, etc. We're doing what Christ did for us. And what Paul says is, as we praise God together, as we come together with those who are different, fulfilling all those visions in the Old Testament, Jews and Gentiles coming together under God, saved and rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And so we come back to kind of where we started, chapter 15, verse 14. Uh, There's a man making an announcement. Paul talks about the fact that he's saying, now that I've, I've laid out this gospel and all its implications, he says, I've got a priesthood, he says to them. What does he mean by that? It's like the priesthood in the Old Testament. Not a priesthood where he stays in the temple and does stuff in the temple, but kind of a priesthood where he goes out and proclaims the message of Jesus to the world. Because it's like the, the mountain Zion is like the place where he starts and then his priesthood, and it's not just him, but it's all those who are proclaiming the gospel have this priesthood of 
bringing the gospel to people. Paul wants his readers in Rome to help him to spread the message further. That's a key reason, one of the key reasons he's written the letter. He spelled out the gospel in detail. He showed why it's so important. And he wants this wonderful vision to really wrap the, the, the Christians he's writing to um, up and, and he wants them to be caught up in this vision. Uh, and he, he's, he's confident that they actually know these things anyway too. It's not as if it's all new information. But he says to them, I want you to be part of this with me. Will you, will you join me? Uh, and so the, with the help of the Christians in Rome, he wants the, the cycle of proclaiming that gospel to repeat. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the coming weeks where we learn about responding to the mountain of God's mercies through loving our neighbour, uh, where we learn more what it means to love one another, to accept one another, and to speak that gospel of Jesus Christ together. Uh, how about I lead us in prayer? Father, you are so great and you are so wonderful. Uh, we have only just really scratched the surface of your wonderful and deep uh, and inscrutable mercies. And we thank you for the way that uh, you, through uh, the Apostle Paul, through Romans, uh, teach us about uh, some of your plans, your great plans and purposes. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the hope that we have and the reconciliation that we have. And Father, we do pray that we would be able to praise you together and to love one another uh, as we uh, together share the gospel of the Lord Jesus with many. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you so much, Lionel. Uh, as I said before, uh, absolute, absolute massive job to uh, take us through the book of Romans in such a short time, 15 minutes. Um, I love it. We're going to have some time for questions now. My number is up on the screen. Um, so can I kind of just send through some questions? A few have already come through from people here and people watching the live stream. Mm. As people send through questions, Lionel, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, if people want to go deeper into some of this stuff, some of the resources that are available in the past? I think we've got a, a few Yeah, there's, a few, there's a few slides. I've, I've put can... a few uh, commentaries in there and things that you can look up. Um, also, just, just so you know, you know we, we've, we've got at Moore College something called the Preliminary Theological Certificate. So if this whetted your appetite and you're going, oh, that would be interesting, something that I'd like to, to, to follow up further, um, then this, uh, this certificate, um, it's something you can, you can get. You can do it in groups or you can just do it by yourself, uh, do it online, uh, do it by correspondence. Um, it's affordable, and uh, what it helps you to do is just to grow in God's word and to give you a foundation for, for learning um, stuff, foundations of the Christian faith. Uh, the actual very first subject that you normally do is, uh, it involves uh, something that uh, basically is a big overview of the whole Bible. Uh, it's like a big map to the entire Bible, and I did it ages ago, and it's just really eye-opening and just really helps you to just go, oh, I can kind of get more of a handle on what the Bible's all about. And it's not just so that you can, you know, know what the Bible's about. It's so that you can know God's great plans and purposes and love him and respond to him in that way. So if you want to um, follow that up, that's, that's something you could do. And it's, uh, there's, there's the website is there and you can just uh, follow all of that uh, up. It's meant to be affordable and uh, you can follow it up on social media, etc. Uh, as well as those commentaries. Yeah, do recommend those commentaries. Uh, it's just helpful. Obviously, you don't need commentaries to understand God's Word, but just to go deeper and to equip you, particularly those of you who are leaders here tonight. Okay, we're going to dive into some questions. Uh, here is one question to kick us off. Uh, you talked about Abraham in chapter 4. If Abraham's belief was credited to him as righteousness, and similar for other people after the law given in Exodus, what was the point of the law God gave them? If they could be made righteous through their faith, what was the need for the law in the first place? 
I, I love questions like that. And one of the reasons I love questions like that is because um, those questions actually are the questions that Paul asks and seeks to answer in Romans. So it actually means you've actually kind of got it. You've got it when you, answer, when you ask a question like that. Um, the question, you know how you know, Paul praises God for being so multifaceted in, in, in all of his ways and inscrutable in his ways? It's sort of a little bit, a little bit multifaceted. When you look at Romans chapter 10, there's a number of purposes for the law. One purpose is, is it actually, it brings death. It actually comes to Israel and it says to Israel, Israel, here is God's will in all of its starkness. You can't do it, can you? So it actually shows up sin and demonstrates both to Israel and also to the whole world that they can't do it. It also does reveal God's will and shows uh, what God's will is uh, and so therefore shows Israel and us how to live for him, uh, if, if imperfectly. But actually in the end it's there to drive us, to drive Israel and therefore the whole world to Jesus. Uh, and that's kind of the argument of Romans chapter 3 verses 1 to 20 as well as other parts of Romans. Yeah, nice. I think there's someone on the live stream. They've said, I get where there is no law, there is no transgression, chapter 4, verse 15, but why is sin not counted where there is no law, chapter 5, verse 13, mm. and following? How does one reconcile that with God's direct judgment in Genesis and the rebellion apart from the law in Romans 2? Mm. Yeah, um, so the, the statement, where there, is law, there is, where there is no law, there is no transgression, what transgression means is kind of going against an actual rule. Well, if there's no obvious rule, then you can't actually transgress it. You know, it's, it's like if, there's a, if the road you're driving along um, doesn't have any speed limit signs on it, you can, you can go at 200, you know, um, just out here on, uh, on, on the street. That's fine, you know, go at 200, no problems at all. Because, but if someone sticks a sign there that says you've got to do 50, Oh, you've got to do 50, okay? And then suddenly there's transgression. But actually, driving along there at 200 is dangerous and it is wrong. You know? um, in chapter 2, Paul actually mounts the argument and he actually says, well, yes, Israel had a specific law that actually really specifically came and said this is actually God's will, so there's absolutely no excuse. But he actually says, well, actually, all people know a, a basic understanding of right and wrong. And so God will judge them by their basic understanding of right and wrong. And actually, all the world is condemned in that way. Uh, so in the end, none of us can actually escape. Um, so uh, sin is not counted. It, that's not an argument to say that, sin, that, that God counts no sin whatsoever, ever, ever. It's, just, it's, an, it's part of Paul's argument in chapter 5 about the coming of the law and why the law came to make sin clear. Nice. Okay, here's a good question. Uh, Romans 7 mm. is one that a lot of people have different opinions on. Yeah. Uh, is Paul speaking as a mature or young believer or one of the alternative views, Adam or Israel? Do you want to just kind of yeah. flesh out for us, I guess, firstly, the different views people have of Romans 7 and when, what position you Yes, take? okay. Yeah. So three main views, and I take a fourth one from my colleague Will Timmons. I think it's a brilliant view that is actually very Anglican too and very Reformed and very Calvin and Luther and Augustine actually is my view. But uh, the three views are what Paul, so Paul's talking about this struggle, this real struggle with sin um, and the law comes and condemns him. Uh, one view is this is his pre-Christian experience. This is experience before he became a Christian um, and then he becomes a Christian and he doesn't have this struggle anymore. Um, I don't necessarily think that makes sense because it doesn't make sense of our experience anyway. I keep struggling with the law, uh, with, with sin. Uh, but also, I don't think it actually makes sense of what Paul's saying. 
The second one is, this is just the normal experience of the Christian. This is what you can just expect in your Christian life. You know, just an ongoing pessimistic struggle. And it's just really hard and just everything's just going to be hard all the time. You're never going to be able to make any progress or whatever because that's what Romans 7 is about. Um, there's a third view that's kind of a, a view that says, well, this is kind of Israel. So it's kind of Paul's doing a bit of a going back to the Old Testament scriptures. Um, I think it's a bit too clever, actually, that view. Uh, and it's not quite what Paul's saying. Um, my colleague Will Timmons, um, and it's not just his view, I, I think he actually points back to people like Augustine and, um, and, and, and the reformers. He actually says, but the way he formulates it, I, I, I love it. Um, he reforms it, he says, this is the experience of all Christians, but it is not Christian experience. What he means by that is that as Christians, fundamentally, we are people who have God's Holy Spirit in us. That's what God's talking about in chapter, Paul's talking about in chapter 8, God through Paul. In chapter 8, we have God's Holy Spirit that does enable us to live and there's there's an optimism about our Christian lives. And that is what Christian experience really is, is actually all about. And yet, at the very same time, we all live in these death-bound bodies that are subject to sin. We're still, in some ways, we are still in Adam in that way, you know, just because of our bodies and, and, and because of, we, we haven't reached eternal life yet. We're not living, um, you know, I've got, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm realising it more, I've got to put my glasses on, my, my eyes are going dim and stuff like that, but it's not just my eyes, it's just the fact that I'm in these mortal body. And so what chapter 7 is doing is it's like saying, let's just focus on that for a moment. This is just focus on living in our death-bound mortal bodies. You know, and this is an experience that we all have. And then Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he gives us the other side, kind of the, the Christian perspective on our experience. So it is our experience, but it's not the whole story. The whole story gets finished in chapter 8. And yet it is real. And it needs to be real because we need to understand that this is actually, I experience it. I experience this struggle. And if you're honest, you do too. Because like I said, you're human. And uh, you know, um, I, I don't see any glorified, resurrected bodies here. I'm sorry. But yeah, you're all wonderful. But uh, none of us are glorified and resurrected yet. Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty cr- practical question in terms of teaching Romans. Mm. Um, if you're going to teach Romans or you know, running a Bible study or connect group, what would be a helpful length in terms of weeks mm. in running that teaching series in order to not rush or overwhelm? Yeah. I think it was, was it Martin Lloyd-Jones who preached through Romans in, what, like 350 sermons or something? Yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones like, did a, a verse a week, yeah, a verse verse a week whatever, yeah. but, but he also... Would you recommend that? Every, every, every week, Martin Lloyd-Jones did a verse, but he was basically brought in the entire Bible every week as well, so yeah, he was preaching on the entire thing. Um, I think in our, in our context, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's no absolute right answer, but I actually really love the kind of approach um, that, that we're doing here. Um, that, that actually, now we're kind of starting in chapter 12 at this point because of the year of loving your neighbour, but actually doing it in kind of four um, chapter blocks actually tends to work, you know, on average for us today. So I, so I know people who do like in, you know, four chapters, then take a bit of a break and then do another four chapters and then come back to it. Yeah, but there's no, no hard or fast rule. Yeah. For that. Uh, one more question. You, you, uh, you helpfully brought us back to all the different... Um, audiences Romans is, is speaking to and appealing to, and um, uh, tell us, wh- how, why is this focus on the Israel, Israelites, Israel, important in Romans, and what would we lose if we just kind of forgot it and kind of downplayed it and ignored that part of Romans and just, you know, directly applied it to us in 
Sydney 2021. Yeah. Um, there's just a, there's a simple sort of historical reason why Romans would be particularly concerned with Israel and Jews, and that's because Rome was one of the biggest Jewish, probably the biggest Jewish population outside Jerusalem in the ancient Roman world. It was a huge Jewish population um, and lots of Jewish influence and lots of Jewish hangers-on, so that, that kind of makes sense. What would we lose if, uh, in understanding Romans if we didn't sort of understand the sort of the Jew-Gentile thing? We'd lose the whole grounding in God's purposes throughout the Bible. Here's Romans, here's where it is, um, and before that you've got the whole Old Testament and then the Gospels as well as Acts which are the story of God uh, coming to his people and then Jesus coming and then God's Holy Spirit being poured out. All of that really does rely on the story of Israel that's told from Genesis all the way through. So if you just read this as if it's just about us uh, and you, without reference to that, well, firstly, the, the, you know, every, every f five sentences, every sentence almost has just got references to the Old Testament, so you wouldn't necessarily uh, get it. At the same time, I want to say it is very much about us because we are people living in the world, in this death-bound world, in need of resurrection, uh, and it is from Israel to the world. Uh, and so in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah talks about the ends of the earth, the distant islands. And I think, um, you know, Australia, um, New Zealand, you know, Tonga, other places, are probably the furthest far-flung, um, yeah, Samoa, yeah, various places, furthest far-flung islands that you could possibly think of, Isaiah wouldn't even have imagined that. Well, here we are, and Paul's talking about the fulfillment to, to them. So, That's yeah. awesome. Uh, one last practical question. Mm. How can we, leading connect groups, uh, kids' church, uh, how can we, as we teach chapters 12 to 16, we're focusing mm. on that, yeah. how can we do that well building on what's come before in Romans? Have you got any hot tips for that? Yeah, it's 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 really you know really really complex hot tip for that, and that is read it, <laughs> read it a lot. You know, read chapters one to eleven, not not just chapter twelve. Like like go over it and, and read it. If you're teaching, um, it's actually really helpful to, to read um, because if you don't keep grounding what Paul's saying in God's mercies, then as a teacher you can very easily end up even if you don't intend to, you can end up being a moralist, like a law teacher, uh, says, well, the Bible says we have to love one another. Are you loving one another enough? Well, that's the rule, so keep it. You know? And now, you're not so intending that, but that is easily how it can come across. But if you are saying, oh, this is about God's mercy, God's loved us so much, uh, that's why we need to love each other. And, and yeah, that, that would be my thing. Read it. Hot tip. Great. There's plenty of other good questions. I wish we had time. Uh, Lionel is going to be sticking around afterwards, so please come and, and pick his brains, asking questions. Uh, he'd love to uh, spend some time there. Uh, thank you, Lionel. You have been such a gift to us tonight. Would you put your hands together and thank Lionel? That's uh, you've, you've stretched our brains, but you've also reminded us of this amazing gospel that we believe, uh, the power of God to save, and what that means for us in our lives. And you've also helped and equipped us to teach God's word well. So we're so thankful for you. Thank you very much. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Uh, let's pray in response to all that we've heard from God, and then we're going to head out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel, the good news, the power, the power to save to save and rescue us from our sin and from your judgment. We thank you for the gift of your son who died 
in our place, paying the price for our sins. We thank you for all that means for not just us, but for the world. That has implications for people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to live out the gospel, to live gospel-centered lives, to respond to your mercies by offering up our bodies as living sacrifices. Lord, we pray for those of us who are leaders of your people, teachers of your people. We pray that you'd equip us through the book of Romans, that you prepare us to teach and lead your people faithfully uh, with great love, with great care and as great shepherds. We thank you for Lionel. Thank you for the brain you've given him. Thank you for uh, his deep study in the book of Romans. And thank you that uh, tonight he has uh, done such a great job at just distilling so much of Romans into 50 or so minutes. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help this not to just be head knowledge for us, but to transform us. Lord, to you be the glory and the praise for all that we've seen about you and heard about you tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you everyone for coming. Great to see you.